Welcome to the Sideline Dissonant. I'm Brad Whitaker. Happy Halloween. Lot to talk about today. Uh, Patriots made a big trade trading away Jimmy Garoppolo. I'll get to that. And also what it means for Kirk Cousins now that he will not be going to the San Francisco 49ers. And then later I'll talk about the Boston Celtics off to a 5-2 and two start. Won five games in a row. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are performing above expectations. I will talk about the genius of Celtics GM Danny Ainge. Uh, but first... A lot of criticism is being directed at Bill Belichick for only getting a second round pick in return for Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, first of all, I think it's just ridiculous to doubt Bill Belichick at this point. Not, I don't just mean that as a Patriots fan. I mean, last year, everyone was so harsh on him when he decided to trade Jamie Collins. And then what do you know? The Patriots defense, just like this year, got off to a horrible start. They traded Jamie Collins at the trade deadline, and by the end of the year, in terms of points allowed, they were the number one defense in the NFL. So I'm going to trust Bill Belichick under these scenarios, but uh, the, the criticism is of just getting a second-round pick uh, has been all over the sports media. Uh, I think this clip by Colin Coward, and I'm a big fan of Colin Coward, but I think he's just wrong here. Here's the explanation everybody, or the, the criticism everybody seems to have of Bill Belichick and their thoughts on what he's doing with this Garoppolo trade. Let's look at what Belichick has done. He traded quarterback Jacoby Brissett for a wide receiver who was considered sort of a bust. Could he get more? Yeah. But the Colts GM is Chris Ballard, a friend of Andy Reid, who Belichick likes. Belichick trades quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo for a second-round pick. Could they have gotten more? Absolutely. Who's San Francisco's head coach, Kyle Shanahan, son of Mike Shanahan, who Belichick respects. This is what presidents do, folks. They pardon people on the way out. Bill is telling you, I've not only hit the turn, I'm on the last couple of holes of this golf course. Okay, so a few things there. First off, I want to say... Let's be a little soft on Philip Dorsett. The guy is so young, he's still learning the Patriots offense, and Belichick acquired him knowing that he would have him for three full seasons. The Patriots still have Dorsett for two and a half years. I'm sure at some point he'll figure out how to use the system, and with Chris Hogan out, I think he'll be getting a lot more catches now uh, because he'll be on the field a lot more. Uh, But the thesis is basically Bill Belichick is helping out his friends because he knows his days are numbered and he will retire soon, presumably whenever Tom Brady retires when he's 65 years old. Uh, but so the idea is they traded Brissett because Belichick has a good relationship with Andy Reid, who has a good relationship with the GM of the Colts, and he did the same with Jimmy Garoppolo with the Niners because Bill Belichick likes Mike Shanahan, therefore he likes Kyle Shanahan, he respects the Shanahans. But why would he do that and then not do any? thing to build for the future in New England. It seems like if Bill Belichick wants to help out his friends because he's planning on retiring very soon, his priority would be to help out the friends he works close with in New England before he helps out Indianapolis and San Francisco. Uh, And let me tell you a little bit why I think he's wrong. What you have to remember is the Patriots were not keeping Jimmy Garoppolo, no matter what. And we just found this out in the last 24 hours. There were 
tons and tons of efforts to re-sign him in the offseason. The Patriots apparently gave him multiple options and just put him in front of him and said, does this work? Will you re-sign with us? And his agent just wasn't having it. And, you know, a franchise tag isn't an option for Bill Belichick because nobody wants to pay that kind of money for a backup quarterback, even if it's for just a year. So, uh, you know, teams around the league knew this. Jimmy G's agent is Don Yee, who also represents Tom Brady. He has a close relationship with everyone in the Patriots. But Don Yee also represents Sean Payton, the, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, and all sorts of players and coaches throughout the league. So it was kind of common knowledge that Jimmy Garoppolo wanted to play, and he was going to let his contract run out in New England so he could be a free agent um, in the offseason because he has the talent to be a starting quarterback. He just... Obviously, the Patriots were holding on to him because they weren't sure when Tom Brady would retire, and nobody expected him to play into his 40s at the level that he's currently playing at. And Garoppolo wasn't just going to sit and wait his turn in New England any longer while serving as the backup to Benjamin Button. He just wasn't going to do that. This wasn't Steve Young behind Joe Montana, which was my theory. I made a video on that this summer, that Garoppolo was just Steve Young to Joe Montana, but it sounds like Tom Brady wants to play till he's 43, 44, 45, so... If that's the case, Garoppolo wants to go somewhere else, and you can't blame him for that, and he has the same agent as Brady. I'm sure there were internal discussions there. So, the Pats either had the option to trade Jimmy Garoppolo now, or let him walk at the end of the year. Obviously, you want to get something in return. So, what was the best option? Could the Patriots have gotten a first-rounder or uh a couple of late mid-second rounders in return instead of just a one-second rounder, I'm sure they could have. But you have to remember, Bill Belichick does not like first-round draft picks. And he's he's been very good at finding guys at 35, 50, 70 that should have been drafted in the top 10. I mean, take Gronk, for example. But uh, Belichick doesn't like first-round picks simply because they cost a lot of money, and second-round picks don't cost as much. And remember, the Niners are tied for the worst record in the NFL right now, so in all likelihood, they're going to have the first, second, or third pick in the second round. So it's basically a first-round pick, and you know Belichick's going to find someone at 33, 34, 35 that he would have picked at 11, 12, or 15 or something. So... The Patriots got the best that they could get in return without Belichick having to commit the money to a first-round pick. So, I don't blame him for making this deal. I was a little stunned when it first happened, but again, there's two big reasons. Patriots don't want to pay a first-round draft pick because they never want to pay a first-round draft pick, and number two, Garoppolo was going to leave anyway at the end of the year. Patriots tried to re-sign him. They really, Belichick loved Garoppolo. He really bought into him, but... Knowing that Jimmy G was going to leave at the end of the year and that Tom Brady was going to play in the foreseeable future, Patriots had to deal him away because you, you have to get something in return rather than letting him walk. Seven defensive linemen who played 150 snaps this year, most in the league, and they're after Cousins, and they get him back at the 42-yard line. Poor Kirk Cousins. I mean, I feel so bad for the guy because he basically was drafted 
by the Shanahans because the Shanahans loved him in Washington, and then Jay Gruden took over, and now he just gets franchise tag year after year after year, and I'm not sure they're going to re-sign him this offseason, so we'll have to see what happens there, but 24 hours ago, most people thought the 49ers would have the worst record in the NFL by the end of the season, meaning they'd get the number one pick. And I'm really not sure what will happen now. My prediction is once Jimmy Garoppolo gets on the field in San Francisco, they're going to be at least a 500 team. That team plays hard. Kyle Shanahan's a good coach. Uh, They certainly have some defensive issues, but... Uh, they, they play tough. You know, Cleveland plays tough, too. They don't have the best record. They have the two worst records in the NFL, but they're two teams that do look like they have some upside, although Cleveland does not know how to select a quarterback. Uh, I trust Kyle Shanahan very much of the, the quarterback position. Uh, but, you know, many believe Kyle Shanahan would pass up on drafting Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, or Josh Allen, even if they had the number one pick and instead use that pick to address something else or trade down to get more picks. And presumably, the reason why people thought this is because uh, they would sign Kirk Cousins in the offseason, because Mike and Kyle Shanahan, again, have always loved him. That's the reason why they drafted Kirk Cousins the same year they drafted Robert Griffin III, because they're like, all right, one of these guys is going to be our franchise quarterback. RG3 obviously had a great first year, and then Cousins took over because he was more of a sustainable pocket passer, but... The Niners are out in the mix, and it's probably a good thing. It gives them more options in the draft next year. They can address that defense. Uh, but I think there are three teams other than the Redskins I feel have a real shot at Landy Cousins in the offseason. The first team I think that could get Kirk Cousins is the Jacksonville Jaguar. Uh, Jaguars. Their defense ranks sixth in the NFL in terms of yards. But they're number one in terms of points by a wide margin. They only average 15.7 points per per game allowed, Um, and that's because the red zone defense is incredible. Tom Coughlin has done an incredible job since he got to Jacksonville. Uh, people People seem to forget that he's there. You have to give him a ton of credit for what's happening right now, and Blake Bortles, their quarterback, has had a lot of great games, and a lot of people are starting to think Blake Bortles is the guy, but I think a lot of it has to do with the running game, and also Jacksonville has at least a top 10 offensive line, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's where Kirk Cousins decides to go next year, because Things are looking up in Jacksonville. I mean, they really could be a playoff team this season, uh, which I wouldn't have said heading into the year. Um, my, the second team on my list are the New York Jets. Nobody expected the Jets to be as good as they, they are this season. They were the real tanking team heading into the regular season. Now, they're currently 3-5, and five, but they've lost three very close games. They all could have gone the other way. So, they really could be... Uh, they really could be 6-2 and two if things had gone their way, if they were able to beat Miami, New England, and Atlanta. All close games. Uh, so the Jets aren't going to make the playoffs this year. You know, they lost, they stumbled lately. But uh, the Jets are an example how it's more important in the NFL not to lose than it is to try to win. And, you know, I think this is the Bill Belichick philosophy. You, you play conservative football. You play not to lose first before you start with the vertical 60-yard downfield offense. And that's really what the Jets have done. And uh, I think that offense, which is in the middle of the pack in the NFL, is ready to be a top-10 offense in the NFL right away if you insert Kirk Cousins in place of Josh McCown. Now, give Josh McCown some credit. Nobody expected him to be this good. Uh, but the, the issue in New York really is the defense. There's still a step or two behind the offense and the rebuild, uh, which may be a turnoff for Cousins. 
Although, if the New York Jets were to sign Kirk Cousins in the offseason, that means they could also go out in the NFL draft and really address that defense instead of using it on Darnold, uh, Rosen, or Allen. So, that's why I give the Jets the second best chance to Jacksonville, uh, assuming Kirk Cousins doesn't go back to Washington. And then the third team on my list are the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, they clearly weren't ready to commit to Carson Palmer's successor this past offseason, uh, but after another potential season-ending injury, which is, looks like Carson Palmer could be out for the rest of the year, they have to address the, the future of the quarterback next offseason. And look, it's, it's another disappointing year in Arizona. Everyone wants to blame Bruce Arians. Uh, but you have to remember, he has a ton of talent on defense, but he is an offensive-minded coach. So that explains why the defense hasn't performed up to par. So they really need to figure out their defensive issues in Arizona. But right now at quarterback, their options are Drew Stanton and Blaine Gabbert. So... Arizona, you can't really depend on Carson Palmer anymore. He's going to keep getting hurt. He's up there in age. Wouldn't be shocked if he retires at the end of the year. Um, But maybe Kirk Cousins would go to Arizona because he'd love to play for Bruce Arians. Um, That might be appealing for him. But again, Arizona needs to get more out of their talent on defense. They have the talent to be a top five NFL defense, and they've been the complete opposite of that. Um, And I've heard the Minnesota Vikings thrown out there. Um, You know, there's still issues with Bradford staying healthy, and we have no idea what the deal is with Teddy Bridgewater. Remember, Teddy Bridgewater was supposed to be the franchise quarterback in Minnesota. Uh, But, you know, I could see if they did want to go after Kirk Cousins, that would be a good choice for him because Minnesota's as complete a team as they come outside of the quarterback position. They have a Decent. They have a top offensive line, and their defense is incredible, and they're winning with Case Keenum and the backups to Case Keenum. Uh, so that's an interesting development. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Washington Redskins. Uh, I don't think Cousins is going to go back there because they just haven't believed in him. And, uh, you know, that, that loss to the Eagles a couple weeks ago is really, really going to hurt Kirk Cousins in the long run. Spins in the lane, Tatum gets a block. Batted around, always turned back his way in. Fall away baseline, does not go. Strong offensive board, another block for Tatum. Guys, he's talking to guys. Uh, He's a great teammate. I'm very thankful the Boston Celtics started the season 0-2 because the sports media immediately wrote off the Boston Celtics after they lost a close game to Cleveland and a close game to Milwaukee after Gordon Hay- on back-to-back nights after they lost Gordon Hayward. So everyone's like, oh, the Celtics, you know, they're going to be worse defensively because they got rid of Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder, and now that they don't have Hayward, they're younger, and so they're probably not going to be as good of a team as last year. And what happened? They won five in a row. And, of course, they could be 7-0 had the Milwaukee game and the Cleveland game gone the other way in the, the final two minutes. So I think losing Gordon Hayward will ultimately be a good thing for the Celtics, especially if he is able to come back in April. Uh, but, you know, it, what we've seen out of Jason Tatum is just incredible, and Jalen Brown to an extent. Uh, when Tatum is having an off game, Jalen Brown steps up. When Jalen Brown's having an off game, Jason Tatum step, steps up. You know, Tatum didn't do a lot on Monday, Jalen Brown scored 18 points, then Jalen had a rough night in Miami, and Tatum put up 20. So, in fact, Jason Tatum is averaging 14 a game, and he's shooting 
50% from three-point land. Now, that's not sustainable. Jason Tatum isn't going to be a career 50% three-point shooter because that would make him the greatest three-point shooter of all time. But I really do think it's possible that he could be a Curry-Durant type that averages 40% from three per game. And look, everyone thinks Jalen Brown took a step forward. If you actually look at his averages, they're nearly identical to what they were last year. The difference is his minutes have doubled. Uh, but I will say this about Jalen Brown. His conditioning is much better, which is the reason why he's he can play 33 minutes a game. And his ball handling really took a step up from last year. But But back to Tatum. Nobody expected him to be shooting like this. And also, nobody expected his defense to be this good. And you saw what kind of a shot blocker he can be uh, in the clip I just played before this segment. Uh, he, he's wide, but his, he's got a long wingspan, uh, and he's really worked well into that Boston, Boston defense. And remember, as I said, the Boston Celtics were supposed to take a step back defensively after trading Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley. Right now, they're currently first in the NBA in defensive rating. Remember, Kyrie Irving, not a great defender. He takes possessions off. His defensive intensity, not sure it's going to last 82 games, but it's been impressive. In fact, I would say Kyrie's been a good defender. And, you know, we replace him with Isaiah Thomas, who Brad Stevens figured out how to hide defensively. And then, of course, Isaiah had to guard Bradley Beal, which nobody is comfortable with. Kyrie's really stepped up defensively, and I think that has everything to do with Brad Stevens. And I think Brad Stevens is also the reason why the Celtics were able to lose Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder and not play Gordon Hayward or Marcus Morris, and they're still the number one defense in the NBA. That's unbelievable. Nobody's talking about that outside of the Boston sports media. And this is your daily reminder. Danny Ainge traded down to get Jason Tatum and also got a lottery pick in return. Biggest criticism of Danny Ainge was he doesn't draft All-Stars, and I think in the last two drafts he might have drafted All-Stars, and I think Jason Tatum could be a future MVP. I really think he's that good, and I wouldn't be shocked if Tatum won Rookie of the Year this year. Uh, Now, Ben Simmons might keep him from winning because... Simmons is putting up triple-double du- triple double numbers right now, and he has less developed playmakers around him uh, than Tatum does. Tatum's on a, a championship-contending team, so that might keep him from winning Rookie of the Year, but, of course, you never know if Simmons is going to stay healthy. But, again, if Tatum is able to shoot Durant-Curry percentages, it'll be tough not to give him Rookie of the Year, especially in today's shooting-oriented NBA, and I don't even think Ben Simmons has shot a three-pointer all season, so... I think you have to give Tatum the edge in that department if he keeps his shooting percentages really high and his defensive play is incredible. And and I, that's not to take anything away from Ben Simmons. I think Ben Simmons is more magic than Lonzo is. I really do. Uh, he certainly has better court vision. I think, I think Lonzo Ball is better half-court vision, but when it comes to seeing the full length of the court, Ben Simmons is very impressive. But again, Ben Simmons doesn't shoot like Jason Tatum does, and it's really, I think, going to come down to those two for the Rookie of the Year. Uh, Lonzo Ball, he'll get there. His shooting is going to take a while, and Markel Fultz, I'm not saying Fultz is a lost cause. I mean, it's going to take him a long time to develop, and Philadelphia is still a work in progress, but Jason Tatum is ready to contribute in the league right now, and it's really incredible that Danny Ainge was actually able to trade down two spots to get Tatum and the Celtics will get a future draft pick out of it, probably in the top five. Uh, So that's it for this episode of the Sideline Dissonant. I'll be back again tomorrow. Happy Halloween. Until tomorrow, I bid you adieu.